0: Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is a very special one. Her name is uh, Manuela, the CEO and co-founder at People Salud. Manuela,
1: welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Likewise, we have been
1: trying to do this for for
0: a while now. Uh, and uh, if if I can share, if not, we will edit this part. <laughs> You'll be married soon. You you run a marathon uh, in in the meantime. So and you are still scaling uh, an elf tech company in Brazil. Okay, uh, how is it possible to do all of this in in, in the same year?
1: <laughs> it, it it takes a village to raise a kid. So even though I'm doing a lot of things, I have a lot of support in the company, in my family, and also in the marathon, I think I had like a, a big team behind me. So that's how I can do it.
0: But let, let's get to know more about you. So who is Manuela, how has been your uh, career and uh, how how the, how the passion to start that people came and, and then we, we keep moving forward. <laughs>
1: Perfect. So um, who is Manuel? That's a, that's a deep question, but I'll start from <laughs> the beginning. So I'm actually half British and half Brazilian. So my, my dad is English and my mom is Brazilian. Uh, both of my parents are literature professors, um, not, not professors, but graduates. So I don't come from a background where um, I had like business in my household. Uh, but I was a very different kid from, I think, the beginning. So w- one episode that I like to, to, to kind of like mention a lot is um, I had like a student fair when I was four years old. And then they asked the kids what you wanted to be when you grow up. Uh-huh. And then you had like the usual answers like I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a dancer, I want to be a soccer player. And right. I said I wanted to be the president of Brazil. So I I was always, I was always kind of like on a different side. I always had a lot of ambitions for myself. Um, And then another interesting episode, when I was 15, I studied in a high school here in Brazil where they had the the habit of writing yourself a letter. And then you would receive that letter 10 years after that. So I I wrote the letter when I was 15. I received the letter when I was 25 and in the letter I said, I wanted to be a businesswoman uh, and I wanted to travel around the world. So, so in in a, in a way it was always there. Um, and then I decided to do economics, uh, for my graduate degree. And when I was in economics, I was like, where are the successful people going to? Right. And that was, um, literally 14 years ago. And then it was basically, I had, I had two, two places to go. Right. So either people that were more more ambitious were going to the financial market or nice. they were going to management consulting. <laughs> and then uh I kind of like spoke to a few people uh, that were doing one or the other and then I was like I think financial market is it suits me better. Mm-hmm. Um so I started working in the financial market. I I started as a trader, <laughs> which is wow. interesting as well. So I I started in a trading desk. Um, I didn't like it very much, to be honest. Like I started in a trading desk. I thought it was kind of like uh, very intense, but not very analytical. And I'm a very analytical person. I like to read. I like to do analysis. I like to process things quite slowly. Um, and then I moved to credit uh, slash investment banking. Nice. And then I moved to private equity um, where I stayed the, the largest part of my career before starting a company. Uh, I stayed for almost eight years doing private equity here in Brazil. Um, I work in two different funds, uh, the sovereign wealth fund of Singapore, which is called Temasek. Exactly. And then I'm, I went to another fund called Actis, um, which is also a, a British fund focused on emerging markets. Um, in both these funds, I was focused on healthcare, and that was totally by chance. Wow. Um, I did a little bit of financial services as well. And then in 2018, when I decided to leave, I actually decided to leave because I wanted to, to start a business in the intersection between financial services and healthcare. Uh, and that's how my, my, my entrepreneurial jo- journey starts. And it took me a year to start people.
0: Wow. And so now I'm, I'm curious to get to know more, that that year, how, how it, how it looks like and, uh, how have you evolved your thesis? How, how did you have the courage to get out of your uh, private equity, I would say, prestigious role and, and uh, comfortable life to kind of start everything from the scratch yeah. uh, with the dream. How has been that process? Because I'm yeah. sure that a lot of people that are now listening to the show, of course, some of them are already starting their companies and scale their companies, but a lot of them might be executives that are thinking, is this the right timing for me? to start a company, maybe not yet, uh, and understanding how, how it looks like to go through the discovery and, and building the thesis, it, it's really important, right?
1: Yeah. So, so I think that's, that's a very interesting year in my life, like 2018, 2019. Um, first thing, like when I was doing private equity uh, for a while, I was looking at the entrepreneurs that we were looking to back. And I always felt like you know, those people on the other side of the table, they are way more interesting than me and my bosses <laughs> and the people that work with me. So oh so I think that feeling grew and I was like, I don't want to be here kind of like evaluating things in a PowerPoint in an Excel, I want to be building. Mm-hmm. So I had this urge to kind of like create things. And I think that that took me probably four years to kind of like really, really jump from that boat. Um, and I think the main reason why I didn't, it took me a while to jump is what you just mentioned, right? Private equity was prestigious. I was traveling a lot. I was like going to meetings with a lot of interesting people. Uh, I had, a I had a good salary. Um, so it took me a while to break this inertia. Mm-hmm. And I had a boss in the beginning of my career that he always said, you have to do the things for the right reasons. And you have to understand what's the cause and what's the consequence. Mm -hmm. And for after a while, I was like, I think money is being my cause, not my consequence. And, you know, after after a lot of self reflection and a lot of kind of like understanding myself, I was like, I'm not happy doing this. I'm just staying because it's comfortable. So I decided to leave. Um, and the moment was also a good moment because I was in a fund that was raising another fund, so it was we were in between funds. So it was kind of like, you know, that place that gives you the um, the moment to say, you know what, let's do it. And then I did it. I left. Uh, I, ha- I had a, uh, I, ha- I had money, so I, I wasn't a privileged position. I had money to think. Um, nice. One of yeah. my co-founders was already in that mission with me, mm-hmm. so me and Tiago, we decided to kind of like Tiago was was in his MBA, leaving his MBA. I was there and we started exploring things together. And in the first time I started, like in the beginning, I I did it with a very, with a private equity mindset and a private equity mindset is I have this thesis on PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. It looks great and I'm going to pursue it. Uh, I didn't have a lot of connection with the problem and with the people and how it actually worked in real life. But I literally spent hours and hours reading research reports, interviews. (laughs) I knew I know I knew everything about the market. I didn't know a lot about how it actually worked. And and that's how I started my first kind of like investment thesis, you know. Love it. Um, And then I went there to do it. And literally everything in real life was different from what was written in the paper. So so just to be really, really quick here, I wanted to do a company that was looking at fraud. Uh, in the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. So the underlying thesis was, I'm gonna receive the healthcare data from the HMOs and the PPO, so the, the health insurers. I'm mm-hmm. gonna process that data, I'm gonna find fraud from the doctors, from the hospitals, and I'm gonna save them the system money, and that's gonna reduce the healthcare costs of the the right. system as a whole. That was kind of like my vision, right? <laughs> then the first healthcare company that I went to visit, Robin Hood, uh, I literally vision. arrived there. Vision. <laughs> the the, the Robinhood vision. The first company I went, I was like, I, the, the go-to-market, uh, my, my head it was like, the go-to-market, I'm going to start with small companies. The first company, small health company, health insurers. The, comp- the first health insurer I visited was like in the countryside of Sao Paulo. I took a bus five oh. hours uh, overnight. Oh, wow. Went there, met the people, shook hands. And I was like, I'm building the software, it's AI. Uh, I, I need a, a small percentage of our healthcare claims so I can process and I can show to you how efficient it's gonna be. I, I didn't have anything, right? I only had the idea. <laughs> and then well the, guy, the, the guy came and he was like probably 67 years old. He looked at me and he was like, we don't have this digitalized, it's, it's paper. The, the, the hostel sends me a receipt Right. And then the receipt <laughs> arrives here, and then we have a team that looks at every, every receipt and then they approve or they don't approve, and then they go to one pile or to the other pile. And then I had this whole idea of like AI that I didn't, didn't conversate with what the, the real situation was, right?
0: right? So
1: after a while, I decided to kind of like uh, pivot, and then that, from that pivot, I actually ended up doing people people's. Saúde.
0: And now we are super curious to do. To, you are doing an amazing, an amazing story. You are sharing an amazing story, Manol. Because now I, I'm, I'm the host, and I'm kind of please <laughs> Tell me the next step. <laughs> so, for the ones who are listening to us, uh, what is People's Wood? What is uh, the mission
1: of People? And uh, what is the vision, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Good. So. Um, I'm fast-forwarding the the other months that we stayed in my house doing research and (laughs) discovery and and trying, but uh, we ultimately ended up um, starting People in July 2019. Mm -hmm. People is a a tech-enabled healthcare brokerage uh, that helps companies uh, buy and manage their benefits. Mm -hmm. while also establishing a contact, a direct connection with the employees and helping them in their healthcare journey. Mm -hmm. So the vision here is, so just to provide some context to people that are kind of like listening, but are not necessarily familiar with healthcare. So in Brazil, 70% of the healthcare market um, is basically a company is buying healthcare plans for their employees. So it is a corporate sponsored market, as we say. And that's mm-hmm. why we did a healthcare brokerage, that is actually a B2. It's a B2B business. So we talk to mm-hmm. companies. We help them buy their healthcare plans, their life plans, their dental plans, their um, uh, whatever plans right. they want to have, uh, or whatever healthcare benefits they want to have. But the companies get their price adjusted every year depending on their utilization, right? Of that benefit. Right. So if there are like a lot of diseases or people misusing their healthcare plans, what ends what ends up happening is that the healthcare cost goes up every year and historically it has been going up three times more than the the, the average inflation, right? Mm -hmm. So the healthcare cost is three times um, accelerating, three times faster than the salaries. And that's why we decided to establish a direct connection with the member or the employee, because uh, we want to help them use the healthcare, use their healthcare benefits in a better way uh, that also avoids costs. So how can we monitor the people that have uh, chronic diseases? How can we take people away from the emergency room and towards the specialists? How can we help uh, people keep engaged with the healthcare situation every year, rather than discovering diseases in the end, which costs a lot of money and also have a very uh, low chance of uh, figuring out that condition that they just that they, they just discovered. So, th- so that's a little bit of what we are trying to do. And we say that our vision is to uh, to become the platform that turns healthcare into something that's simple and also access, uh, accessible.
0: Definitely, that's to lots of
1: complexity and we could be here speaking uh,
0: about uh, all, all day about the complex or even, not even all day, all, all month or all week <laughs> about the complexities yes, of the sure. healthcare system, how to align incentives, how to be able to... Uh, ensure engagement, etc., uh, etc., cetera, et cetera, treatment adherence. Um, uh, so a, lo- a lot of factors, and um, and of course you are very well backed. And in terms of stage of growth, you have raised the Series A uh, last year. Um, if you want to also to share some of your investors, I also have here the list. But Five Capital, Kazek, Atlantico, One VC. Yeah. Uh, and and also uh, a very well-known angel uh, that is backing people, David Veles, that is kind of uh, one of the um, main icons of the Brazilian and system. ecosystem. Um, yeah. And a $20 million Series A round uh, last year. Feel free to add any other stats in terms of stage of growth for the, for the ones who are listening, just to relate and understand where you are in terms of stage of growth, right?
1: Yeah, so we started the company in two thousand nineteen. Uh, we had this big discussion whether we should start it with our own money, bootstrap it a bit, or uh, fund it straight away with like a pre-seed uh, round. Mm-hmm. And we decided to go with the pre-seed uh, that was led by Monashies and, and Mon VC, and also uh, David Valles as the largest angels, largest angel. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of like interesting to share because a lot of people might find might kind of like face the same challenge, right? right? Should I do it with my own money? Should I raise external capital? What are the pros and cons? And then for us, it was like, what's the moat uh, of the business we are building? And then the moat was like, we need to build a product that creates an amazing experience for both the HR and for the member. So they are engaged with our solution and, and that creates a uh, that, that leads to the vision that we are that we are seeing here mm-hmm. and thinking about product. with the current market if you want to hire good engineers if you want to have product as your moat you need to spend money and we were like we will never be able to do it with our own money we don't have that amount of capital to be competitive and right. on top of that the the most talented engineers will be um, drawn to large names in the cap table so fundraising can be also a talent advantage in that sense, like having good fun. So we started with that round a little bit later, uh, we started picking up traction quite fast. Uh, we had, a um, kind of like a continuation to our seed round that was led by Kazakh. Um, and then later, uh, we had our series a, uh, last year, um, because we were picking up a lot of traction as well. And we wanted to accelerate that growth trajectory, but Above all, we wanted to invest even more in product, right? I, I have this, this this thesis that healthcare, it doesn't go like this in a curve that it's exponential. Mm-hmm. Healthcare goes in an exponential trajectory, but, but it starts slow and then it really picks up. Right. So you, you are building today the advantages of the future. And if we wanted to invest a lot in product, if we wanted to have the best in class engineers, the best in class product professionals, the best in class designers, we needed to have money, we needed to, and then we ended up uh, raising a large series A, even though we are not a capital intensive business model. So we don't have coupons, we don't have logistics, we literally spend money in salaries and we have a few M&A opportunities, but M&A is something that you can choose to do or not to do. Uh, so it was really, really about hiring the best talent out there.
0: Got it. Super, super interesting. Um, and and I was maybe also thinking that um, from, from pre-seed to the series that we were talking about, this, this transition from the private equity world and navigating this pre-seed stage and this seed stage, I think that... Now you are getting a little bit closer to um, the kind of the stage that you were in uh, at maybe maybe still a little bit smaller than at that time in the private equity world, but it should have been a, a huge challenge to go through those uh, kind of three years to go from pre-seed to to A, right? And I think that that's also one of one of the periods that the founders are most afraid of because they 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 know that. It will be painful to go through series A, series B, etc., but it, it will be a great sign that they were able to, to get there as you did. So congratulations.
1: Exactly. No, thank you. And, and I think like, to be honest, I think some of the listeners also might relate to that. Yeah. If, if you look at the, the startup world here in Brazil, a lot of the founders, they came from financial market, from the financial market, from the uh ma- for management consulting a few of now we have a few founders that actually worked in the startups before but the startup right. ecosystem is very new so you don't have a lot of people with a lot of experience and when you are in one of those environments you are raised and trained to be a sniper that's the the analogy i always used so when i was in private equity i was a sniper right i, I had like oh, a, an analyst and, a, and, and an intern but, but I wasn't really managing people and the way I was adding value was because I was good at what I was doing and I was producing a lot of, kind of like material analysis and, and guiding people to help me throughout this process. Mm-hmm. And, and that's more of what it feels like to be a founder when you are in the beginning. When you are in the beginning, CEO is only a fancy name to a very good individual contributor. <laughs> <laughs> you are, you are literally just doing everything that a company needs. So you are selling, you are right. like going to the bank, you are having lunch with people that are like, uh, that you want to attract. So, so it, it feels a lot similar in the beginning. And then after a while, um, you start growing the company and you have more people. And then the way you add value, it's very, very different from the way um I used to add value as a private equity investor. So that transformation wasn't easy. I'm still going through and and learning what to do in the CEO role. Uh, and everyone l- learns like no one no one is especially people that come from like they were not a CEO. they 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 have to learn how to do, to do it. and the the value that I add is through things that I do that will help other people that will help the organization. so so currently I add value by hiring the right people giving them the right mission, putting them in the right place, uh, right. unblocking uh, things that might be kind of like blocking their speed. And sometimes that's the organization. Sometimes that's kind of like the interdependencies that your company has created historically. And literally when you are a CEO of a company that has 200, 250 people, which is our case right now, if I work from nine to seven, or if I work from nine to midnight, that marginal time that I work won't make people make it or break it. Hmm. And when people had 10 or 15 people, that was the case. Right. Because now if you look like you have 250 people, you multiply by that the amount of hours. If I had three or four hours more, th- that, right. that won't be what's taking people to the next level, right? You, you have, have to create things that, yeah. that scale. Right. So, so that's very that's very difficult, and I think that has been a very challenging process, but also a very interesting one uh, on a personal level.
0: In in a in a certain way, it, there is something that also helps when you come from this background is that you are able to bridge the um, to to be in the founder seat, uh, also understanding the investor mindset, and being able also in in one of the main roles of a CEO that is able to ensure that. Uh, there is always cash in the bank and we go through <laughs> fundraising uh, that you understand also what is the business of the VC. And in that sense, you didn't need to, to learn everything yeah. from the scratch. Of course, it's always different to be in the driver's seat than to be pitched, but at, at least you know uh, how the investors think and you are able, even I would say, even as an operator, um, understanding uh, how to look into the business and what are the variables that matter Uh, and where we should focus. I think that the investor mindset also helps. Do you
1: feel that? Definitely. I think like um, probably the thing that was, apart from doing things very fast, like doing analysis and stuff like that, that I learned in my previous life, I think fundraising definitely was an advantage for me as a founder because I come from a private equity background and, and I know how investors think, right? So it's easier for me to position our story and our thesis because I know um, how their brain functions I mean, in many ways. So that's something when I come, I kind of like talking to other entrepreneurs, I came from a very different background and stuff. Sometimes the people are really focusing on the execution, the operation, and they give this really micro view. And to be honest, like for fundraising, it's not about the micro, but it's really about the micro story you're telling. Like how big is the opportunity? Uh, how, how can I, differ, how, how I'm going to capture that opportunity? How, what's the mode I'm building? Um, right. and then finally, like why, why now? And why I'm the right person, right? Or why, why we are the right company. Right. So um, I think kind of like having that helicopter view that I had as, a, as an investor helped me pitch the idea as well.
0: Yeah. And again, after understanding how it works, it seems uh, kind of simple, but it takes a long time and a lot of years to finally start handling the, the, all those concepts and putting everything um, together. Awesome. Yeah. and. Uh, and let's move into something that I, I know that you really love, which is to talk about culture. And uh, I've been following you also on your on LinkedIn, and there are amazing insights on on your LinkedIn page uh, around culture. You also keep giving talks and so and 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 uh, about the topic. So. What do you think are the main pillars to to be able to retain and attract talent? uh, And and I would say, or uh, why culture is important if we want to start uh, with a question even before that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I think culture is uh, definitely one of my passions as a CEO. Um, As I was saying, like what moves a company, what is responsible for moving a company forward and how do you actually scale the execution? In the end, it's about like having the right people with the right incentives and powered by a great culture. Because when you are kind of like running a startup or working in a startup, it's, it's tough, you know? And I think it's like, you work longer hours than you would work in a multinational company. You have a lot of problems all the time. Things break. Um, You have, it's stressful. So, you know, kind of like, and and then to face that, um, you you have, of course, you have victories and and things that like that make you realize because you're building things. But it's also that there is a dark side, you know, that people not often comment about it, but it's it's there and it's very present in the culture. And then for you to be able to stay in this environment for a long period of time uh, and kind of like power through, you need to really, really be inspired by the place you work. And that means I admire the culture, admire uh, how people act, and and I also admire how smart they are and how they're solving problems, right? So there is that that feeling of being in a place where, like, I look to the left side and I see people that are really smart. I look to the right side. I look at there are people that are they're really smart. So I think culture plays a big role, and more. Uh, on top of that, you have a very competitive market of people trying to get your talent, especially especially when you're talking about engineering product that you have international competition. So how, why do people stay, right? Why do people actually decide to earn a lower salary than they could? Because they could work for any company in the US and make more money than they're gonna make in Brazil. I would say from right. 99.9% of the places that they work, they stay because they love building something, they like their colleagues, and they like how their colleagues behave. And I think how people behave—that's exactly what's culture, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm so uh, passionate about it here at People, because I think it's it's super important. And because we are a remote company, I think we have to be super intentional about it. So company is not like culture is not like oh co- culture is what happens no culture is what you make happen you know it's it's how you the 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 rituals you create how you incentivize people how you fire people how you promote people I think that's actually what creates a culture right and I like the the
0: very simple way you articulate it right so why people stay here it's because they really enjoy the colleagues that's that they work with uh, and the way they behave and and that's why they don't move to to other countries and to other cultures where they can have a higher financial compensation but maybe they would not have a, a, such an high emotional uh compensation or fulfillment or happiness um compensation okay. and 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 you think that of course this is um and we talk that's true we were talking about fundraising we were talking about the investment mindset the founder mindset but we always think about the secret sauce for the customer that that's all about in the slides. If we think about the fundraising deck, it's all about what is the secret sauce for, for the customer, how we will win the category. And we know that talent nowadays is the critical ingredient also to, to win that battle. And we never talk, what is our secret sauce to be able to attract and retain uh, that talent? And I, I like the way we are talking about it because you are really putting the focus on how, how can we, how, how are we able to develop a secret sauce or a moat for, for our people to stay with us to create a moat for our customers to stay with us, which is retention, retention, yeah. retention, and retention attracts uh, acquisition. Uh, <laughs> interesting. Yeah.
1: I think something I've, <laughs> some, something I've learned um, as, as an entrepreneur in the past three years is you can add a lot of value to the company by hiring the right people that's for sure, but hiring people won't be the miracle that you are looking for. Mm -hmm. So people come, they don't have context, they don't know your business, it's gonna take a while for them to perform, you know? So if you have the right people and then they stay, you don't lose the context and context is extremely powerful.
0: Love it.
1: So I think that that's kind of like, that's why you have to think about retaining the right talent a lot Um, and, and sometimes, my, for people in the video, I'm sorry, my cat is, <laughs> is part Sounds of the. That's amazing. It's
0: part. <laughs> he, <laughs> he wants to play a role in the in the podcast. Uh, so that's exactly. that's the cool star exactly. of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For the ones who are listening, the the cat of Manuela just went through the the laptop. The and video kind of a relaxing moment for everyone to rest. And it keeps going again and again and again. <laughs> so saying that culture yeah. is super important and it needs to be very well treated uh, as part of the family. <laughs> exactly. And this is a good introduction uh, about diversity and and inclusion. And uh, why do you think this is so important in terms of building the culture?
1: Yeah. Um i think like for for us here at people just provide people some context we are super super uh kind of like big about diversity inclusion it's even one of our five uh, pillars uh in terms of culture so we take it very seriously and i I have a very pragmatic approach to life and i also take um, diversity inclusion like from a pragmatic standpoint right so for me it's like if you want to innovate so if you want to do things different from how the, the status quo is doing, mm-hmm. you need to have a fresh perspective, right? On on how that problem is being analyzed or how the solutions are being created. And I think diversity and inclusion really, really is the source of that new perspective. So if you want to create things different differently, you have you need to have different people thinking different things, right? So you wanna have fresh perspectives, and diversity is exactly that. So you have people from different genders, different backgrounds. Uh, different races, uh, different or, um, uh, sexual orientations. So, so that's how we started thinking about diversity. And we also thought that it would be easier to start a business with that mindset, rather than create that mindset throughout our life. So. Sometimes when I talk to people about diversity inclusion, I see a lot of people saying, oh, you know, it's too early. I'm gonna think about that right now. I'm gonna think about that later when I hire someone to do it. Like diversity inclusion, it's better to have that mentality embedded in the company from the D zero, because it's gonna be way easier for you to really create a diverse environment. Mm -hmm. And also diversity inclusion is not someone that some, you might have a head of diversity inclusion, but she's gonna be, responsible for doing certain things, right? For the company to be really diverse mm-hmm. and inclusive, it needs to be from the leadership, from the founders, from the CEO. So right. I think those were kind of like our key learnings throughout the process. And we started as a very diverse company uh, and we continue to be one.
0: And again, uh, another element of that secret sauce to be able to create an environment that can compete with any other environments. Uh, in and also be able to to win uh, compared to another financial parameters that can be offered to to people that that startups and even scale-ups that are very well funded, which is the case of people, uh, are still not able to to compete with. But they they can at the same time compete with those large multinationals in a way. Uh, that they are not also able to change their culture because change management is so complex, especially at a certain size. As you said, if it is not built, yeah. if it is not built from the from the from the beginning, it will be almost impossible to change the culture uh, in the middle. So yeah, I love the intentionality on building the the culture, and especially as you said, uh, it's very tempting to 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 leave it for. Another time because there are so many stuff to do, and uh, every founder knows that there are so much life and death uh, moments. that uh, the last thing that you would think would would be um, about culture, but I, but I think that's it's it's definitely a critical element. And uh, and this is something also that second time founders always say, right? I should have taken more care uh, of culture. If I start the company again, I I will start with culture first, and if I need to. Uh, be thinking about it for a week or two, uh, and giving it even more importance than into the fundraising deck or or a similar uh, kind of importance is curious to 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 listen to that. And and something yeah. amazing is we are seeing, and I like to see in ElfTech in Brazil, um, female founders leading uh, scale ups. Uh, which is which is great to see. we are seeing more gender parity than than in other verticals like for instance, fintech uh, and so on. Um, how do you see that evolution and how is being um, a female leader and a female CEO uh, in Brazil and Latem?
1: Yeah, so so I think that uh, there is definitely like the, the there is definitely a lot of change going on. so um, I, w- I would consider probably, myself as a second or third generation of uh, startup or scale up founders in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Like there is a, the, the, the first generation in, in the early 2000 or mid 2000. Then there is like new bank. And I think there is probably like two, 2010, 2012 and then Quinto and And then now it's 2022, 2000. There, there's like, we are, we are somewhere in between the, the second and the third generation and, and you definitely see the profile changing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's a process and it takes time because what you need for like the, the, the system to really change, you need to have a lot of female, you need to have female founders on the founder seat and you have to have female uh, investors on the investor seat as well. Um, because it's, 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 I would say like, I come from a private equity background, so it's not something that I can really relate, but to be honest, I think VCs, they really uh, reward people for being aggressive and for having a bold vision and for having mm-hmm. kind of like telling what they want to be. And it's more natural, n- more natural to men to be in that seat saying, I'm going to be gigantic. I'm going to be the next new bank. <laughs> of wah, 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 wah. I, th- I think females are way more kind of like conservative, you know, like I want to get there one day, but now I want to go from point A to point B, you know, And sometimes that's not rewarded the same place. So I think the ecosystem needs to change, but there is definitely a lot, a lot of females emerging, founders and CEOs, and a lot in the healthcare and education spaces, because I do feel that those sectors, they have a lot of purpose um, Mm -hmm. embedded in them. So I want to revolutionize the healthcare system. I want to provide better care to people. And the same is true for um, education, right? I think for kind of like some, some stuff like FinTech, FinTech infrastructure, that can be a a little more technical. You don't see as much females as you see uh, in healthcare, for instance.
0: It's it's interesting the connection with the purpose that is super important for for women and uh, I think that for a lot of men I, I consider it my super important to me as well. Uh, but but agreed. So I, th- I think that uh, there is this uh, capacity of thinking for the common goods that women uh, have embedded uh, even stronger than than men in general. Uh, I like that that approach yep. uh, to that. Okay, cool. and um, is there any any kind of general uh, advice about uh, kind of go to market product, um, fundraising? any any topic that you think that when you look back and you see some of your mistakes, some some of your lessons learned, something that you really would like to, to tell yourself, and, and of course this this will be part of the next segment, but just a kind of a not going through the typical questions of uh, you know, what are your fundraising lessons, your go to market lessons? Because we, we will not have I- enough time in, in this show. Uh, but, but any thoughts that you'd like to share with founders that are listening to us that, that were critical to you.
1: Yeah. I, I think like if we were to talk about mi- my mistakes and things I would do different, I, I would need a week probably or a month. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but a few things I would point out, I think. For, for different state, for for different types of founders in different stages, right? I think the yeah. first big mistake I made was I fell in love with the solution before falling in love with the problem. Great one, yeah. And I and I think that's kind of like something I I always advise people: like, are yeah. you really really passionate about the problem you are solving? Because the solution can change and it will probably change, right? It's it's, it's very probable. Right. Um, I think that the second mistake. Uh, that I made was I really, uh, underestimated how complex a few things would be. Uh, so mm-hmm. kind of like B2B sales, right? You, you read mm-hmm. some books, you talk to some people, you kind of have blah, sales machine vibe, and it does feel <laughs> like a funnel that will be, and, and it's, it's extremely tough and you will need a lot of founder, um, sweat allocated mm-hmm. to it. Because I think the fa- the superpower that you have as a founder, you are not the smartest people person in the room. You are probably not the most technical person in the room, but as a founder, you have you have the ability to receive a lot of punches and stay up, right? Right. Resilience so, and resilience. You keep pushing. You keep trying. It's not A. It's B. It's C. It's D. Uh, so in those problems, uh, it's really useful uh, to have the founder involved. Mm-hmm and i would think about those problems as if i was thinking about what people needs to be a successful business and i had to list kind of like three or four things what are those mm-hmm. um so we need to scale we need to we need to build an amazing product that creates a, a competitive advantage versus the market that creates actually product value it's not only a nice experience to using the app because that's that's not what, what what's going to take us uh, there um, we need to have a very good relationship with the healthcare operators. Um and I, I would put those kind of like top three things and I I would allocate founder time to those. Um because when you go talk to the healthcare operators it's gonna be challenging. They won't be they won't try they wanna do an app they they won't they don't want to do an API and know for that for sure, and you need nice. to convince them to do an API, and that's gonna take a year or two, you know. And then uh, sometimes, like having the founder resilience, it's super uh, useful. But mm-hmm. at the same time, that I think it's worth allocating founder time. I think it's worth having the um, being very humble from an intellectual perspective and knowing that you don't know. Right? It's very important to know what you don't know. So you might have that superpower of resilience, but you don't know anything about how to set up a CRM. And if you right. try to do that over your head of sales, either you hire the wrong person, that's why you're doing that, or you're being kind of like super tough to work with, right? Because like you hire someone that's a specialist and then you are trying to do their role. Um, so, so I think those two things are things that I really look back and I, I would allocate more time um, since the beginning.
0: Great reflection, and uh, I was really impressed, impressed by the the clarity of your thoughts in a, such a general and open question. So <laughs> what are you to tell yourself about what, what are you, you, the main problems or the main mistakes that you have? face it uh, that you would, if you would be able to, to go back. So, uh, congrats. And and finally the last, I, I do, I do
1: spend a lot of, a lot I do spend a lot of money and time with self-development and, and that's another, and that's another, so those things that I'm answering are things that I'm constantly asking myself and, and talking uh-huh. about myself, like with my shrink or my coach. And, and I do feel that they make me a better leader. Like I, I have been, spending a lot of time in order to be more conscious about who I am and the things I'm good mm-hmm. at and the things I'm not good at, um, and, and the things that I regret, uh, and how I should overcome those things because it's not going to go back in time. So that's something I also kind of like, I think it's very good money spent for founders, Congratulations. knowing yourself better. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely. Investing in, in a coach and, and working in our, uh, self-awareness, uh, it's Super, super important and with a great return on investments. Uh, so let's go into the Definitely. last segment of the show where I ask a quick question and you give me a brief answer. And so let's start with the first one. Um, if you'd have the opportunity to have a coffee with yourself uh, at the beginning of people, uh, imagine Manuela in 2019 uh, or 18, uh, 19, right?
1: 19.
0: What advice would you offer to your younger self at that time? Um,
1: I would say probably, uh, so many things I would tell myself, but I would probably, uh, w- one of the things that I really think it took me time for, for me to figure it out was what, it, what is your what are are you expected to do as a CEO? Um, And you are expected to call the shots. And not necessarily to create alignment and decisions that you make with all with the co founders with the founding team all the time. I think in the beginning, I was always trying to conciliate everyone's opinion and then make a decision. And I was very afraid to just make a decision and call it a shot. And I think that's very useful when you have co founders, I do feel that we talk little about that, but it's important to understand that a co-founder is like an owner of the company, not very different from an investor, right? It's different Mm -hmm. because they have skin in the they they live the the day-to-day and they know a lot more about the day-to-day than an investor, Mm -hmm. but you have the co-founder role and you have the executive role. So in the beginning, I thought every decisions I would make, I would make trying to conciliate my opinion with the founders and with even if the, the founding team, and I do feel that we lost a lot of time and energy just trying to get into those agreements that don't exist and when you are a founder you have to understand who is the ceo and who's gonna ultimately call the shots and you have to be in peace with that um well, and then you have to understand that there's an executive role and then the founder role and that's it great advice uh, what are you the most proud
0: of on your journey so far
1: I think uh, people's culture, um, I'm I'm super proud about it. Like people love to work at people. We are a remote company, but we are well regarded for being a company of a strong culture that people collaborate, uh, that people are focused on solving our clients problem. We're not not, not focused on kind of like our own egos and trying to do our things, but disregard the others. So I'm super proud about that. I'm super proud about um, having created a company that people can be their own selves, you know, like, If they are kind of like, I'm, I love Britney Spears. I can dance Britney Spears (laughs) at the the company's offsite and no one will care, you know, because like that won't define you as an an employee that defines you as a human being. And you are like, that's part of who you are and, and who you bring to work at people. So, um, I'm super proud about it. Um, and. I, I just love kind of like building in general. I, I think it's, it's, it's very rewarding for you to see things kind of like really being services, products, helping people. Uh, we have so many lives that we have touched, so many diseases we have kind of like treated. Um, and, and I think that's super rewarding to, to be a founder.
0: Awesome. Worst advice ever received? Mm.
1: <laughs> that's a tough one. I think the the worst, I'm going to be a, l- a little bit on the, the kind of like not so, uh, uh, maybe kind of like uh, I'm going to say and I'm going to explain. Yeah. I think the worst advice I ever received was kind of like the autonomy culture mm-hmm. that a lot of people say autonomy is key, autonomy is key, autonomy is key. You have to give people mm-hmm. autonomy and you have to give people autonomy. Uh, and then you read the Netflix book and then you are like obsessed about giving people autonomy <laughs> as a founder or as a, <laughs> and, and to be honest, I love autonomy. I think it's great, but I do feel that we use mm-hmm. autonomy as, as anarchy. Uh-huh. So having autonomy is not doing whatever you want to do mm-hmm. and not agreeing or not being able to seek kind of like agreement with people that are uh, like the CEO or the CPO or the CTO of the company if for like in product technology. Mm-hmm. Having autonomy is having a clear direction of what's the objective you want to achieve and having autonomy over the delimited area of how you are going to do it, how you solve that problem, how you can create. But right. you will never work wor- work alone. Um, you will always collaborate with others and you always need to seek approval. Like that's life. I seek approval. I have bosses. I don't do right. whatever I want to do with people, you know. Um, and I do feel that we really kind of like listen to that autonomy mantra a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think after a little while people became a place where people felt in, especially in the beginning that they could do whatever they wanted to do. And if people told them different, they were, they would play the autonomy card, you know, that's my autonomy, <laughs> exactly. uh, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's something that's really embedded in the startup culture today, but you have to take autonomy with a pinch of salt. If you want to hire the best talent, you definitely need an auto- autonomous culture. Mm-hmm. But autonomy only works if you can direct people and if you can cascade the direction to all the layers of the of the organization. So that's what people are trying to solve for, that's th- that are our objectives as a business. That's the metrics you want to influence. that are, Those are the metric, the, the sub metrics that we want to influence, and right. you have autonomy to influence that metric and to test in this perimeter. But it doesn't mean that you want to do what you can do whatever you want to do. Yes. You know,
0: it's kind of uh, providing clarity, asking people, as they are the experts, what can be done to achieve a certain vision. Even asking them, um, what are their opinion about the vision? But uh, as you said. Uh, if everyone could make decisions about the the, the strategy, this would be a, a a nightmare. So everyone can can share feedback uh, because I think that feedback is super important. But uh, someone needs to to have the leadership in certain topics to make decisions. Uh, definitely, that's that's a great one. Love it. So resources, favorite book.
1: Um... Let me think. Mm, favorite book. That's a tough one. It, it doesn't
0: need to be uh, a business one. It could be a non-business.
1: No, if, if it's not a business one, I have an easy one. I love Ken Follett and I have, I love his, uh, trilogy about the, the, the wars. Uh, oh, I think in the, I don't know the exact name of the trilogy in English, but Ken Follett is definitely my the favorite author. Uh, no. I think, if I had to say about a business book, I would probably pick, um, let me, like, let me look at my library. I would say probably <laughs> the hard things about the hard things. I think nice. that's a very good book, even though you will re- you will read at the beginning and you will say, ah, it's nice, but then you will relate with the book more and more as you grow into the, the chair. Exactly. Favorite
0: movie or series?
1: Favorite movie or series? I would say friends.
0: Got it. So we can understand why. And that's why you are building an amazing culture. (laughs) Favorite, (laughs) Favorite podcast, excluding this one.
1: Um, I would say probably acquired. Great one for, for those who are not familiar you should, especially if you want to go deeper into the kind of like stories behind the company, it's really nice. It's really well done.
0: Really, really good. Manuel, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for making the time and you are always invited to come back and and all the best for, for the next steps of, of people. Keep, keep having that energy and that passion for, for making the difference in the healthcare world.
1: Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being here.
0: And to our community, we keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier from zero to one, one to 10, and 10 to 100. See you soon and keep scaling.